Welcome to Rock Talk, the podcast where a couple of jabronis get to know the movie roles of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I'm Jordan Rummel, joined as always by my good friend and co-host Charlie Guile. Charlie, how you doing? I'm doing really well. You know, it is the Christmas season and I know I am but a Gentile. Uh, so welcome to uh, Christmas season, Jordan. Thank you. Uh, it is always great to see how the other side lives uh, during this festive holiday month. We are joined today by a Rock Talk all-star. Uh, you might have, you might remember her from our episode on Get Smart, which is also her favorite movie. Uh, please welcome back Grace Osella. Hello, everyone. Woo! Happy that you guys decided to have me back. Kind of shocked by it, actually. No, Grace, people really love is... that episode. That's one of our most listened to episodes. Uh, I feel like bringing in an outsider of sorts uh, really helps tamp down our enthusiasm. Just like SNL, when they have a five-timer come on, they make them like a nice little robe. Well, we do that at time number two, so you guys obviously can't see us. But Grace is sitting here in a nice quilted maroon robe that has a big embroidered two on the back. It's true. This is an- uh, it's a great robe. We're going to post it on the internet uh, for everyone to see. Uh, so you want to get a robe like Grace's, come on the show twice. Hmm. It's a huge honor, guys, really. So we are taking a look at the a movie that premiered a night ago. Uh, we're filming this episode on the 21st of December. That is, of course, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, uh, which we have been looking forward to for nearly a year. Uh, but first, of course, we're going to take a look at our rock news of the week. Mazel! That's fantastic news! So this week, we only have two pieces of rock news because there's so much jumanji news out there that we've discussed at length uh but first and foremost this is pretty big dwayne johnson told ellen degeneres that while he doesn't think he's gonna run in 2020 just due to scheduling constraints he is seriously considering running in 2024 and actually jordan that may be a better time for him to run what do you think yeah i think that gives him a little bit of a buffer uh between this donald trump presidency uh and and this theoretical run and I think it gives him a little more, a little bit more time to cement his platform, uh, to get out around the country, you know, do some campaigning. I actually think a 2024 run when he's a little bit older, a little bit wiser, got that white beard coming through, uh, we'll have peak daddy Dwayne Johnson. And I think it's a, honestly the best moment for him to run. Yeah. Grace, what do you think? Um, I, you know, 2020, 2024, either way, I think a rock running for the president would be a really great thing to see. Um, even the way he handles himself in interviews now, answering questions on whether or not he's going to run, he's sounding very presidential. So I'm, I'm excited to see this. He can really uh, avoid a question like a politician. <laughs> yes, he's smooth. He's suave. He's got it. So the second piece of news that we have is that well, it was Jumanji related again. Uh, Jumanji opened up yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on the th- on a Thursday. It opened up yesterday on a Wednesday, which is typically. Uh, not days that movies open, but because Christmas was coming up, they wanted to get it out a day or two early. And it opened up with $7.2 million at the box office, which is right around what it was projected to make. The projections are between 44 and $55 million uh, in the first week that this movie's out. And it's well on its way. 
Yeah, and I'll tell you, I have a feeling, you know, based on the theater I was in, which was, let me tell you, 100% children and parents, I think that based on word of mouth, people are going to keep seeing this movie all through Christmas, uh, all through January. I think that this movie is going to have some staying power, and we're going to see those numbers continue to rise in the next few weeks. Well, remember one thing, this is going up against a Star Wars movie. So to be able to even broach maybe $50 million in, in an opening weekend when Star Wars is so fresh in everyone's minds, I think that says something for the niche that this movie is carving out at the box office. You know, not everyone, as as hard as for a lot of us to admit it, is into Star Wars. Uh, and they're going to have kids, and they're going to bring them to Jumanji. Uh, one thing that we're going to get into later is the fact that while this is a family-friendly movie, I think it does skew older, and it appeals to more of a... Uh, an older crowd than you might assume. And with that, let's just get right into it. Uh, As always, it is time for Daddy to go to work. Daddy's got to go to work. Today, we're taking a look at Jumanji. Welcome to the jungle. It is the brand spanking new 2017 PG-13 action adventure comedy directed by a guy named Jake Kasdan. Uh, He's directed TV shows like Fresh Off the Boat and New Girl and movies like the uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Uh, This movie had a $90 million budget. uh, And like Charlie said, it has grossed so far $7.1 million in its opening night. Um, We'll keep seeing those numbers go up. Uh, But there is so much meat to get into. Before we jump into Act 1, I just want to get uh, initial thoughts, you know, Grace. What were your, what were your, you know, going into this movie? You watched the trailer with us a few months back. So where were your expectations at when we went in? When you when you went into Jumanji, where were your, where was your head at? Where was your heart at? Let us know. So I think compared to the two of you, I definitely had less expectations than either of you, purely because I haven't really put too much thought into this movie since we watched that trailer however many months ago that was. Um, You're telling me you haven't been obsessing over Jumanji for the last few months? You know, I check in with you guys every week on the podcast. You give me my updates on on your feelings (laughs) on Jumanji. And I'm like, all right, that's great. Awesome. Um, That's, yeah. So, but that being said, I was pretty excited to see this movie. I was like, I was keeping an open mind. Um, I, if you guys recall, have not seen the original Jumanji. That has not changed. I have not seen the original Jumanji still. Um, So, you know, I had nothing really to compare it to, um, which maybe worked in my benefit a little bit because I really liked this movie. I thought they did a great job. Um, I thought the ensemble cast worked really well together. the beginning and end were my least favorite parts of the movie, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. Uh, but I thought all the parts that Dwayne Johnson were in uh, with, with the ensemble he was working with, um, I thought for the most part, was a really enjoyable film. And we laughed out loud a few times. Oh, throughout this movie, I was laughing out loud. The whole theater was laughing out loud. And and like Grace, I really did enjoy this movie. I did see the original Jumanji, but my expectations dating back to if you listen to our reactions when we first listened to it during the Get Smart episode, I really thought that this was going to be a stinker at the level of a Baywatch or a Tooth Fairy. I am pleased to report that this movie, <laughs> uh, the rankings that when we get to them are going to shock people, I think. I really, really liked it. 
as Charlie said, and just a sneak preview, this one way or another is one of the most important films Dwayne Johnson's ever done. Uh, we'll tell you why in just a minute, but of course, let's just get into it with Act One of Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. In 1996, teenager Alex Vreek receives the original Jumanji board game after his father finds it jogging on a beach, but he puts it aside, dismissively noting that nobody plays board games anymore. Overnight, the game changes so that the box's contents are now a video game cartridge, but when Alex puts it in his console and turns it on, he vanishes. Twenty years later, nerdy high school student Spencer Gilpin is sent to detention, along with jock Anthony Fridge Johnson, the beautiful Bethany Walker, and the socially awkward Martha Capley. There, Spencer discovers the Jumanji console uh, and convinces the others to play it with him. Once all four have selected their characters, the game absorbs them inside of it. Finding themselves in a jungle, all four are shaken to realize that they have become the avatars they chose for the game. The result is now that Fridge has become Franklin Moose Finbar, a short zoologist played by Kevin Hart. Bethany is now Professor Sheldon Oberon, an overweight middle-aged man played by Jack Black. Martha is Ruby Roundhouse, a beautiful athletic woman played by Karen Gillan. And Spencer is Dr. Smolder Bravestone, a muscular tough guy played, of course, by Dwayne Johnson. The group encounters Nigel, who tells them that they are in fact in Jumanji, explains that in order to complete the game, the players must return a legendary gem called the Jaguar's Eye to the huge Jaguar statue and call out the word Jumanji in unison, all while evading the evil Van Pelt, who currently controls the forest. So that sets up this Jumanji movie. Now, Grace, I know you haven't seen the original Jumanji, um, but would it surprise you to find out that this is not much of a parallel uh, to the beginning of the original? Oh, so it's like a lot. Yeah, that does surprise me. So, yeah, I was actually wondering that like throughout the movie, like how much they kind of changed up the, the original movie from the because I was like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. I can see how this would be a movie. So, <laughs> yeah, the end of the uh, 1996 Jumanji ends with uh, the Jumanji board game, which was previously thrown into the ocean, I think, washing up on shore and somebody picking it up. Fast forward to 20 years later, they recreated that scene and showed us who picked it up. So it, it literally picks up moments after uh, the 1996 version. But from then on, uh, there really aren't too many parallels. And we meet our main characters, uh, Spencer, Anthony Johnson, Bethany Walker, and Martha. Uh, we don't meet them for very long. Um, so before we get into you know the, the adult versions of these characters, do you guys have any thoughts on these students? We get like a little bit of exposition, not a ton, um, but a little bit. So what do you think of this opening scene? I'm going to say thank God we didn't have to see them for very long because I kind of <laughs> hated all of them. Like, I, I'm wow. not quite sure who we were supposed to be rooting for at the beginning of this movie because they were just all so stereotypically bad that it was just like, okay, so we have the nerd, we have the girl nerd, we have the job. Girl icon. nerd! <laughs> 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 the girl nerd is just like mean. That she was just a mean person. She's defensive because she has her insecurities. You know, actually, I thought it really played like a low rent version of maybe The Breakfast Club, and I didn't hate it like Grace did. But I'm glad that they didn't spend too much time on it before they got into the game. I think they were pretty much like in the video game at like minute 15, which is great. And 
Honestly, I feel the same way as Grace. I think that the students are some of the weaker parts of this movie. But, however, there is a strength that comes through in how the adults ended up portraying these students and their their various insecurities and flaws. So that just brings us to these adult characters. And right off the bat, uh, let's I want to hear your thoughts on Dwayne Johnson's character, this smolder bravestone. He's obviously you know he's playing a version of himself um, that we've kind of seen before, but. Overall, I thought he was a lot of fun. And also, I just have to say, this is the first time I've ever seen a Jewish Dwayne Johnson character, uh, which for me is a pretty big milestone uh, in in Rock Talk history. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you saw a lot of yourself in the uh, little nerdy gamer kid. So you had, I think Dwayne Johnson did a good job of portraying that. I think this movie does a really, it was really sort of genius how this movie was written to comment on all of these indistinguishable characters that Dwayne Johnson has played in the past. And I, I feel like his character in this movie was sort of a, a commentary on that. And did we did we think that tonally, you know, what this movie is asking Dwayne Johnson to do is sort of a Freaky Friday-esque, you know, switch up. He's at the same time that he's playing himself as his big beefy uh, you know, all athletic superhero type character. He's also asked to pour, to like have these teenage nerd insecurities shine through. And did you guys think that he accomplished that? Like to me, there's there's moments that he did better than others, but I was pleasantly surprised pretty much throughout. Um, he he seemed you know approachable. There seemed to be a, a very human side to him. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I thought he did a really good job, kind of not being annoyingly insecure and just sort of having these little moments. He played it really well, I thought, of, you know, establishing that, you know, in inside of him was this, like, weirdly insecure teenager, but he was still Dwayne Johnson kind of looking. Um, that was one of my issues with this movie, however. I did not understand how the characters, like, sometimes had their video game skills and then sometimes didn't. Like... Dwayne Johnson's character is supposed to be this, like, fearless guy that, like, just literally does not have fears and does not have weaknesses. But then they still had to show that the kid playing him was insecure. So, like, that that just confused me. I didn't I didn't really get that. Um, but I thought Dwayne Johnson did a good job playing it. See, to me, that disconnect gave, like, to me, that was, you know, part of the genius of this story is how, you know, we get to see, like... This is the growth of the of the Spencer Gilpin character. Like you got to the fact that his weakness is still shown through like we were learning that it wasn't, you know, it was Spencer's journey, not Dwayne Johnson, not Smolder Bravestone. So we were growing and learning right a- alongside uh, Spencer Gilpin. And again, I just might have identified very deeply with this character, which is why I feel so strongly. Um, but he wasn't the only one having to do. Uh, a Yaman's job of capturing this teenage character, everyone else in this movie. And I want to talk about Jack Black for probably the next 45 minutes. So uh, good. Because he played a, like an, an insane version of himself in this role. Uh, and uh, Charlie, I know we have talked a lot about uh, his performance in actually in various podcast episodes before this one, but this was like, the penultimate performance of Jack Black. I hope it's not the penultimate because that means the last thing that he does Second is going to no, gonna be the last thing he ever does. Right. 
This so, is the last and best thing he'll ever do. No, no, that's not what no. Pen, do you know what penultimate means, guys? I'm a professional writer. <laughs> I know words. Trust me on this one. This is the best thing. I said the right word. I said the right word. <laughs> I did. So you're Everyone saying that the next me. thing that he, the next role that he takes, is going to be his last? Guys, it's the greatest thing he's ever done. <laughs> Everyone knows that's true. Everyone knows I'm right. Moving on from that, uh, I really do think that this was a. He did such a great job. It could um, his character playing um, a 15 year old girl could have been played uh, so at such a surface level that it could have gone for like easy cheap jokes. But about halfway through this movie, you start to buy it because of his performance. It really reminded me of um, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in Tropic Thunder where he has to play a white guy playing an Australian playing a black guy. And after a while, you like kind of buy it because there's so many layers to this silly and ridiculous character. Uh, and I thought that, you know, Jack Black got there. I completely agree. I, I thought that the, he kind of transcended the silliness of this role. Uh, it was, I, would, I don't know, I was fully enthralled uh, every single time he was on screen. Uh, whether he was, you know, falling from the sky, talking about his penis, or being eaten by a hippo, like I, I, I kid you not, Jack Black was was easily one of the the central highlights of this movie. And God, I just lo- I loved it. I loved almost every minute of it. Yeah, I mean, him saying, "I just can't even with this place." Like he sold those lines, like they were said in the same tone. As like he must have like a fifteen year old kid. I wonder how old his kids are, because you kind of have to be around teenagers that age to really pick up on on the mannerisms and uh, sort of the just the way that they they say those lines. I mean, anyone can read that line off a script, but he really nailed it. And then we also have uh, Kevin Hart, who's playing Franklin Moose Finbar. Uh, he's kind of just doing what he what Kevin Hart always does, which is like like manic. He's like the like the male version of that like manic pixie pixie dream girl stereotype like like what he's just <laughs> I'm so confused by that you know what I mean like he's like this nonstop like like energy you don't know where he's coming from like like to me like it's this one Kevin Hart bit that he does in every movie he's in uh, and it's just this like high energy spaz of a character yeah I definitely uh, get that and that shined in this movie I don't know if he was the best part I kind of thought that he was you know. Maybe played second fiddle to some of the other other big names here, but still enjoyable. Still enjoyable to me. I have a very important question about Kevin Hart's character, and that is, do you think there was a discussion on how comically large to make his backpack? <laughs> I liked how big his backpack was. Like, there was definitely props. Props were, we, they looked at them, they're like, no, too small. No, no, make it bigger. Like, well, I, I just want to know how many times... They had to come back with a bigger backpack before they were like, yep, yeah, that's it. That's the one. (laughs) Well, that's like his whole shtick with Dwayne Johnson is this like size disparity. So love that they were able to play that up in almost every way they could. And that kind of culminated in that fight that they had uh, on the cliff where, uh, you know, Kevin Hart pushes Dwayne Johnson's character up and he loses a life, uh, which is something I want to talk about also is the video game aspect of this movie. It asks a lot of an audience to understand the world of video games, and it and it took a lot of liberties in trying to explain, you know, non-player characters and the idea of having lives in a video game. I don't know. I didn't find it. 
uh, I, I found it all appropriate. I found it all, you know, not too heavy handed or in your face. Sure. I think it made, guys... I think it made a lot of sense for me. I mean, I'm not a huge gamer, but I do, I do play video games sometimes and I I know what NPCs are. I know what cutscenes are. Uh, Grace, did you start to understand that stuff? They really took pains to explain it. Uh, did that make any sense to you? So, yeah. So as someone who does not play video games, I lived a sheltered lifestyle here, guys. Um, (laughs) Didn't do a lot as a kid. Um, No, but I didn't really play a lot of video games growing up. Um, But this movie made total sense to me. I was completely following. um, And to me, it did feel like a video game, um, you know, with my limited exposure to them. Um, But even down to how they portrayed the villain, I thought was kind of smart. Um, because like in any other movie, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but in any other movie, you know, the villain is obviously supposed to be like the central part of the movie. Uh, and this one, they really underplayed the villain, but I wasn't necessarily distracted or annoyed by that because there was so much else going on that we didn't really need a villain. Um, and that's kind of how it is in a video game. Like you're sort of just doing the video game things. Um, and then the villain just kind of creates this very minor story that is just like, oh yeah, okay, that's why we're doing this. That's a pretty interesting take, you know, this sense that Thanks. that we are on. Well, that's it's cool. Like we we actually we we just had a discussion. You'll be as everyone if you're listening, we'll be you'll be able to check out. Uh, we did a a podcast episode with our friends at Nerdy Things Podcast to discuss Jumanji. That'll be on their show. Um, you'll be able to check that out online as well. Um, but in the conversation we had with them. You know, this idea of the of the villain in Jumanji was like, you know, was it portrayed correctly? Was he given enough screen time? Charlie brought up a really interesting point about how, you know, in a in a video game, he wouldn't even be loaded. Like, like there's a lot of like video game, like logic that kind of seemed to go out the wayside in when it came to the villain. But I like that, you know, your sense of this is the journey of the main care of the main player, like of player one, like we are following player one and you don't always see the villain directly you know you're on your own adventure like that to me actually you know as an artistic direction i really get that and i like that yeah and i guess there's you an argument to be made for uh the villain in this movie being the jungle and not really this van pelt character um who i i think that they that we're supposed to understand that he can control all of the animals in jumanji he really hardly ever used that he only used that really for surveillance Seriously, this dude, and he only used it for, like, bugs. If you can control every animal, how come he wasn't controlling the elephant that Kevin Hart was riding at one point in this movie? Like, how, like, he was so selective with his uh, all-encompassing animal control powers. But I guess if this really is a video game, it's designed to be beaten. So if he was all-powerful and took advantage of that, you know, like, completely, then he would be unbeatable. And so... I guess if we're really thinking about it, which this movie is really not designed for that, uh, if it is a video game, it's designed to be beaten. Hmm. I like that, Charlie. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, I, it's I almost can make as if you've sometimes. analyzed Dwayne Johnson movies uh, for the lot better part of a year. <laughs> um, okay, I le- I kind of want to get into Act Two. Is there any other final points before we move in? No, I mean, I think the one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is Karen Gillan's character, Martha. I don't know if those two actors, the teenage actor and Karen Gillan, spent time together, 
but my goodness, she gets all the mannerisms exactly right. I mean, it's like uh, it's it's like the the teenage girl was acting through a Karen Gillan puppet. Wow, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I I am continuously shocked uh, by the level to which I believe each of these actors and actresses portrayed their teenage. It's almost like to me, they almost did a better version of the teenagers than the teenagers did of themselves, if that makes sense. Like they were so believable uh, and so expressive. And even the way she would kind of, you know, they kind of explained uh, her like skimpy outfit and she was uncomfortable. Like they really nailed each of these little personal character traits. And we didn't even have a lot of time to learn about these characters, but it still felt believable, which is such a testament to the strength of the acting in this movie. Which is why I think initially these character, these high school kids are such stereo, like there's such stereotypes. I think that that was for ease of the audience. Like there's not a whole lot to understand about these kids. Let's get to the meat of the movie uh, and move on. So maybe they did that on purpose. All right. Now getting into act two. With those instructions, the group sets off, but they're immediately attacked by Van Pelt's men on motorbikes. In the escape, Martha is killed. She disappears and then reappears, upon which Spencer realizes that each of them have a finite amount of lives, three to be exact, in the game of Jumanji. And if they die in the game, they'll die in real life as well. The group travels to a bazaar, looking for their next clue to find the jaguar's eye. They soon find it. Uh, within a basket containing a snake, which the team is able to acquire by combining their skills and working together. Spencer actually captures the snake, uh, while Fridge defangs it with his zoology skills. Immediately following this snake episode, Van Pelt and his forces attack the group in the bazaar. Spencer attempts to fight them off, but he's soon forced to flee. Uh, the group only just escapes when a mysterious person distracts the guards and leads the team to safety through a secret passageway. We soon learn that this new person is Alex Freak, who has been trapped in the game for 20 years. He has used up two of his lives and has been unable to progress further without the others due to his limited skill set. But he's identified the transport shed where they will acquire the transportation and the means of moving on in the game. By once again working together, Martha by flirting and dance fighting, Alex by piloting a plane, Spencer by fixing it while it was breaking, the gang is able to escape through a canyon and prepare for the final ascent to the Jaguar statue. So act two here, we get we get a lot of interesting stuff. Part of it is this bizarre scene with the snake. Uh, part of it is we get, we meet Nick Jonas is in this movie. And he um, wasn't that distracting. I thought he was pretty good. I know that Grace is a big fan of Nick Jonas. So uh, what, do you, what did you think about Nick Jonas' performance, Grace? Guys, I was so excited to see Nick Jonas. <laughs> Nick Jonas by far was the best part of this movie. Um, again, did not do a lot of research going into this film. Did not know Nick Jonas was in it. So when he showed up, it was just like this beautiful, pleasant surprise that Nick now, Jonas was on our screen. Is he um, your favorite Jonas? Oh, absolutely. So we share a bond that cannot be broken um, because he's diabetic and so am I. So we have that in common. Um, so if I ever meet him, that's what I'm going to tell him. And then we're <laughs> going to start a beautiful life together. <laughs> well, his weakness in this movie was mosquitoes, which only came into play once and they're in a jungle. Seems crazy. Yeah. It seemed like mosquitoes would play a bit of a larger role. Um, 
but I think you're right. He wasn't distracting. He he added to this movie, and then even, but I, but it did lead to there's an interesting romance between him and Jack Black's character. Like this Who, is where keep you, in the, mind the is a fifteen year old girl, right? And like and, and, is she or high school or whatever. She could be like 17. Okay. Okay, <laughs> Roy Moore. Minor. Apologize. <laughs> race. <laughs> Do not. Oh, no. Um, it's but it's weird like like we we get this there is a cool moment where Jack Black playing Martha gives CPR to Nick Jonas, which in a, in effect gives Nick Jonas one of Martha's remaining lives. It's a kind of a cool video game twist. Um, and then after we we immediately see that Jack Black has an erection from from this CPR performance. Like, yeah, this was a kid's movie there. OK, so there were a lot of uh, wiener jokes in this movie, about as many as Baywatch. But for some reason, they worked for me. Seven Bucks Productions. They like to put wiener jokes in their uh, movies to varying effects. I mean, there is an entire like four minute sequence early on in this film where everyone in, well, I guess not everyone, I guess Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart and Jack Black are all peeing. Uh, and the, the movie like stops the plot to like give us this weird aside of all of them peeing and like examining their, their new junk. Like, but, but like you said, it kind of works in like a weird way. I, I was, I mean, I was cracking up. Uh, the children in my theater were all cracking up at the word penis every time that that was used, which is often. Um, I don't know. I Again, this movie was firing on all cylinders, even when it got gross, even when it got a little weird, frankly. Um, I don't know. The- yeah, before seeing this movie, if you asked me to think of a scenario where Jack Black talking about his penis for a minute wouldn't give me just, like, intense discomfort... Um, like I wouldn't have been able to think of something, but somehow this movie, I was like, I was like, yeah, this is this is hilarious. This is, I'm okay with this right now. The minute that he said, "Oh, hey, Martha, come look at my penis," like <laughs> I, I, it was great. I think that the, I mean, that is the beautiful thing about this movie is that the fact that they're playing that they're they're teenagers in the bodies of these characters, and it's a video game. I mean, there so many things that a normal movie would ask you to like suspend your disbelief. It works so much better in a movie like this and in, in which they effectively um, combine both a Freaky Friday situation and a video game movie situation. Um, that fixed so many of the problems that I sometimes have with rock movies. Yeah, and I know that we've, you know, we've we've talked about this uh, right after we saw the movie, but the the CGI in this film, right? It's a little bit it's you know, it's not amazing. Uh, and it's everywhere. And the combat is very, you know, fluid to the point of it being a little bit, you know, it looks almost animated. But those are the kinds of things that you can overlook when it's a movie set in a video game. And everyone is supposed to be a video game character. It it, it gels. Like, it, it, it becomes not off-putting, not distracting. You It actually helped me, you know, it helped me suspend my belief even more as I'm watching this film. I was suspend my disbelief. Like I was, I was fully entranced, uh, and things that might be distracting in, you know, a race to which mountain, uh, journey to adventure. Like it wasn't he- like that. It didn't happen here, which I thought was incredible. Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes the CGI 
in Dwayne Johnson movies is there to sort of substitute as reality, which to me, that's when you get into an uncanny valley situation and things just seem off. And this movie, it is to add to the fantastical element. And I think a good example of that is towards the end of the movie. Uh, I know we're not in the third act yet, but Dwayne Johnson is riding a motorcycle up a mountain at an angle that is almost vertical. And it's supposed <laughs> to be cartoony and video game. Uh, and and it works for me there. Yeah, it, it became... It's it's not I wouldn't call it camp, but they knew what like it, it felt at in that moment particularly like, oh, like they know what they're doing. Like it felt like an artistic decision rather than a graphic oversight, uh, which uh, to me, like it, it really like flipped a switch in my brain of what this movie was. Um, and speaking of what this movie was and is, we we should talk about like like. We're kind of just, you know, the the plot almost seems like it takes a back seat because the characters are so fascinating. Um, but I want to, as the second act, like we learn a little bit more about this team and, and what they are. We kind of get these interesting two-on-twos. Uh, there's this whole scene of, of Martha learning how to flirt with Jack Black. I wanted to get your take, uh, guys, on, on the, that sequence was it funny? Did you like the dance? Like, I really liked it. Yeah, I thought it was a, a really funny way to reimagine the old trope of the montage, um, and the way that they did it, uh, comparing Jack Black and Karen Gillan's character, and then you see Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. You know, you cut to them sometimes, and sort of the juxtaposition between those two scenes working together really was an effective tool um, to to look at a montage in a new light. And I really, uh, I really liked that. I thought it was funny. And like I said, Jack Black, I don't know how much time he spends around high school girls, but it must be a lot because he nailed it. Dude did school of rock and forever learned exactly how to <laughs> That's exactly where he learned it. Yep. Okay. Grace, I want, so up until this point in the movie, you know, where were you at mentally right now? You know, we're almost at act three. Like where were you with this movie? Was the crowd feeling it? Were you into it? Like, like I wanted to get in your head a little bit about, about yeah. where you stood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think everybody in the theater we were watching with, we were all sort of, we were game. Like even the parts that were sort of like, kind of like, okay, suspension of belief. Um, everybody was playing along with it. Um, and then yeah, this this uh, this par- portion of the movie, like it really never bothered me that there wasn't that much of a plot to this movie uh, because it it kept moving and the characters were just so fun to watch. Like I could watch Jack Black be a girl for hours. Like I thought it was hilarious. His facial expressions were incredible. Like I thought he did such a good job, sort of being a girl. So I thought. All of that was really good. Um, I loved the flirting scene. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I really identified um, with, <laughs> with with Ruby. I gotta say, I was like, yeah. It's so were hard, you it's hard out there? Were you a Martha in this movie? Like, did you were you like feeling Ooh. Martha? Is Martha? Wait, which one's Martha? Yeah, Karen yeah, yeah. That's Martha's Jack the, Black, is Karen right? Gillan. No, no, no. Oh, Martha. Oh, yeah. Okay. So here's the thing about Martha. Oh, no and yes, because Martha. <laughs> Martha in like real life, she was like 
she was too much. Like, no one's like that. Or if you want, that's not me, if, if it is. Like, she was, like, mean to people. And it's like, no, Martha, you need to calm down. Everybody doesn't hate you. She rejected people before they got the chance to reject yeah. her. It was a defense mechanism. Mm, okay. She yeah, shut down sure. that gym teacher like nothing I've right, ever seen. Right, that was so mean. <laughs> also, like, dang, like, just just jog around the gym. Right, it wasn't exactly. like they were, like, picking teams of dodgeball or something. They were... That really bothered me, though, because they picked up uh, basketballs, and they go, okay, let's practice throwing. <laughs> oh, that was... Somebody wrote that down in the script and like... thought, you know what? Nailed it. <laughs> the old basketball throw drill. <laughs> you, like, bounce pass and stuff. Here we go. We have an sure. expert over here. Yeah, and then you do that one where you, like, you like bring the basketball up to your chest and you like, you like. The chest it. pass, yeah. Sure, that, yeah. See, even Grace, you you are more qualified to run that drill than whoever mm-hmm. that gym teacher was yeah. doing a throwing drill, like well, off the bat. I, unlike Martha, participated in my gym classes because I didn't like to fail things. <laughs> and you didn't like to break rules. Yeah. Oh yeah, no detentions for for me at all. You never had detention. Uh no. Let me think about that. No, no. I had I had detention in middle school, but I never got it in high school. Yeah, I got it detention in fourth grade was the only time I ever got detention. Um, my teacher lost my math homework and claimed I didn't turn it in. I'm not still bitter. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, never got detention because like Spencer Gilpin, I was a good Jewish boy following the rules, doing my homework. Uh, not writing essays for my fake former friends like Fridge. Um, let's go. We got Act 3 here. Let's see how this movie wrapped up. Uh, Act 3, the team is making their way to the Jaguar statue when they are confronted by literal Jaguar guards, uh, one of which ends up costing Spencer one of his lives when he attempts to carry the gem along the path to the statue alone uh, so instead the team devises a plan to work together martha takes out van pelt's minions while the other three provide a distraction for the jaguars which leaves spencer to take one of the minions motorbikes like charlie said continue on a straight vertical path up to the mountain's edge to place the gem in the statue within the chaos the group loses the gem forcing martha to retrieve it from a pit full of snakes while Spencer motorbikes to that statue up the mountain, Martha ends up sacrificing her second life in the snake pit, causing her character to respawn above the mountain in a position where she could pass the gem to Spencer as she fell down. With this action, Spencer placed the gem in the statue. The group called out Jumanji in unison. The game ended, restoring the jungle to peace and returning the teenagers back to the real world. Now back in detention, this, all four students have returned to their true forms, uh, but they're saddened to find that Alex is not among them. As they walk home, they walk past Alex's old house. When a car parks outside, an older man walks out of the car, sees the group, and confirms that he is in fact Alex. Uh, he emerged from the game back in 1996 and changed his history. He also reveals in this moment that he named his eldest daughter after Bethany. The following week at school... The group of friends are walking when they hear the drum beats of Jumanji in the background. They take the console out to the back of the school. Fridge drops a bowling ball on top of it. Uh, and that pretty much ends the game once and for all. So we get this nutty final action sequence. Uh, and then we get this this kind of heartfelt reunion between Alex and the gang. Um, I just want to say right off the bat, 
there's a lot of deaths. We just mentioned how like Martha like sacrifices herself to snakes. The deaths in this movie, I found them like very disturbing for like what is essentially a childlike film. Yeah, they're actually pretty brutal, especially Kevin Hart being trampled by rhinoceroses. I thought that was like, whoa, uh, Jack Black being eaten by a hippo. You see like the hippo like picks him up in its mouth first and then tosses him up into his mouth. And you see Jack Black the whole time, like his body twisting and crumpling. And But other times they just explode into like a, a, a mist of blood or something. So it, it varies. Yeah, there's one where like Kevin Hart's character has a each of these characters have weaknesses and strengths. One of Kevin Hart's weaknesses is cake, which materialized in the way of he he eats a piece of cake at the bazaar and like you said he just immediately explodes into this like bloody cloud, which I have to say the first time it happened my whole body went numb because I can't handle that kind of stuff. Like immediate like loosey goosey fingers over here folks yeah i definitely screamed out loud in the theater and i was not the only one um (laughs) i do have one question to this is a clarifying question so they all have three lives but isn't it usually like even when you're on your last life no okay i just answered it for myself once you lose your last life don't you get like one more all right, so that was never really established. They're all it's all guesswork, right? So they say, "Oh, once we lose all of our lives, that's game over." That must mean that we actually die. But in video games, game over, you just like go back to the beginning of the game before all your checkpoints. So then right. nobody actually ever tested out. So I felt like if that happened, like say um Nick Jonas's character loses his last life and we know for sure that that dude is dead, then there are some stakes to this, but that was never tested. And and I also, I, I get what you're saying, Grace, because, you know, when they look at their arm and they have the three stripes, that to me says, you know, we have three lives left. But it seems like, like, you die. Right, you die like, and then you lose your stripe. Yeah, and, like, the, it doesn't, I think they're getting cheated a life. Yeah. In uh, Super Mario, if, if you, you know, in the original Super Mario uh, in the bottom left-hand corner, you have like the different Mario heads. That's how many lives you have. You can get to the point where you have zero. Right. right. Well, that's like you I'm always, saying. you get like, you get that last try. Like, right. They are like, yeah, it's all the, the concern in this movie was premature because they all had an extra life. None of them even that's were aware what of. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Okay, good. I'm glad we're all on the same page. And that was not a stupid question. I <laughs> totally see that. Um, and now it disturbs me and I'm upset by it because now... Now I feel like there were no stakes. Sorry, I just ruined the movie for you. Well, and (laughs) this movie definitely, like, it never told, like, we were never in doubt that they were going to make it. That's not what this movie was about. Um, But it would have been nice if if we would have known for sure that they would have died. I kept thinking that throughout this movie. Um, But, you know, they do, they accomplish their objective, they re enter the real world. What do we think about post Jumanji uh, high school? Uh, going on in this movie. I found this deeply upsetting. What part? What part? Um. Okay. Come on. So you, the entire, well, the entire second half of the movie, you're establishing this beautiful, tender, growing relationship between Jack Black's character and Nick Jonas's character. And you're like, yeah, I get it. They're different people out in the real world. It might not work out for them. But like, 
you're watching this character development of this very selfish girl sacrifice her life for this guy and like it's all like amazing but then the entire time you're sitting there like but what's gonna happen when they go back to the real world and i swear never was my assumption (laughs) oh He's going to be a 30-year-old man with children, <laughs> and he He's named... 45. <laughs> he named his first daughter after a girl that he was, like, developing romantic feelings towards. That and got a girl boner on him. Well, because he loved... He had, like, a deep love for her. Like, she saved his life in the game, like... Like, so much time passed between him in, like, the game world and him in the real life. Like, I loved it. And I loved that Bethany didn't get a stereotypical, like, happy, like, love ending. Like, that Martha and Spencer got that. Like, I I found it. And, and I also have to say, I thought the moment of tenderness between Bethany and adult Alex, I thought it was sweet. I thought it was a sweet moment. I don't know. And Colin Hanks plays adult Alex which was con- uh, distracting for me because he was using words like that Colin Hanks should never use like, oh, nice or solid or like he was like trying to play like uh, a, 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 like he was also wearing like a Metallica shirt. So like a like a metal kid. All right. So I have a problem with at the very I, I hate to go all the way back to the very beginning of the movie. But when we see Alex as a teenager in 1996, he has like the Metallica posters on his wall Um when he gets sucked into the game, there's this one brief scene where Nick Jonas starts talking like a 90s surfer dude all of a sudden. He drops the word tubular. I'm sorry, but that was like, no. And this is the second time in this podcast that music posters on a wall have driven me crazy. Well, you're right. And he says like stoked like three or four times. It was odd. And also I have to, maybe wouldn't grunge have been like a better 90s like when mm, that, that would have been, been late more... grunge, I think. I just was confused by like the metal. I, like I didn't, I don't associate metalhead with '90s culture. Well, he and also I... said getting jiggy with it. Didn't he say something that was he jiggy with it? He did say getting jiggy with it. So, yeah, and they never really explained how time worked in Jumanji. He thought he'd only been there a couple months. Turned out he was there for twenty years. Uh, and then when he gets out, he goes back to 1996. They go back to 2017. I don't know, and I and I I get it. We're just supposed to accept it. And honestly, podcast hosts are the people that they don't want seeing these movies. Right. We have we've dug deeper into Jumanji than the writers of Jumanji dug into Jumanji. And of course, as we always do at the end of our films, we are going to rank Jumanji uh, given our patented franchise Viagra test. Franchise Viagra. <laughs> So the franchise Viagra test is broken down into three tenets, and those tenets are hard work, charisma, and physique. These are the things that we look for in a rock movie to determine the age-old question, do we want to see a sequel? So first up, we have hard work. I think Dwayne Johnson did do some hard work. There's a lot of CGI doing the work for him. I get that, but we've already, as we've discussed, it works in this movie. Um, not only was he working hard as an actor, it was his production company that made this movie. Um, so, you know, knowing that behind the scenes, he was pulling a lot of the strings, uh, definitely helped him pass that first tenet of the franchise Viagra test. Next up, we have charisma. If there is a more charismatic character that The Rock has played, I would like to know. 
because that's the whole point of his character Smolder Bravestone is that it's a commentary on the characters that he's played in the past. So I like that it was like um, uh, commenting on these indistinguishable char- characters that he's played uh, in previous films, but it was also doing it in a way that made us laugh. Um, so I, I really liked that part of his character. And so, of course, he passes the second tenet of the franchise Viagra test. Up next, physique. Same story as with charisma. They're making jokes about how jacked he is. Uh, he's wearing a button-up shirt where he's only buttoning like two buttons. So uh, we see his biceps. We see his tattoos. Uh, we see that sweaty, sweaty, bald head of his. Mm. Uh, so, of course, he passes that. So, yes, all three tenets he passes with flying colors so yeah i guess i would like to see a sequel but i think it is worth saying that they that this movie didn't set up a sequel necessarily it is really a self-contained story and i appreciated that i have to say i completely agree with you um i think he passes on every mark uh i would say uh that if and probably the one of the first time we always talk about how dwayne johnson does well when paired with dynamic side characters uh you couldn't have asked for more with karen Gillen. Uh, excuse me, Karen Gillan, Jack Black, and Kevin Hart. Uh, I would go so far as to say that Jack Black, uh, in his own way, passed the franchise Viagra test uh, and, and helped carry this movie. Um, and I, I think that it could, like, they did enough work where there could be a sequel, but I, I hope that they don't because I think that this is beautiful as a one-off and I think that it uh, might stand the test of time as a, a worthy remake of Jumanji, even if the story you know is is its own. And I think that's part of the beauty. If they do make a sequel, I'll see it because I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, they made a sequel. That's going to ruin the first one. Like if they want want to make a sequel, go ahead and give it a shot. Uh, buddy of ours, all of ours, uh, Vaughn, my roommate, when I told him that I was going to go see Jumanji, he goes, well, what happened to the old one? As if like the old one ceased to exist because they made a new one. Right. Throw it out. Get rid of it. Scratch. This is some Fahrenheit 451 type stuff. (laughs) This is the only uh, record of Jumanji that exists. Right. So I feel like this movie is kind of going against the grain of um, big budget feel good movies is that it's not it's not world building necessarily. So I I appreciated that. Um, Yeah, I agree with all of you guys. I would love to see a sequel where they're playing different characters. I think that could be interesting where it's just like the whole cast gets back together, but they're now taking on, you know, Dwayne now is the jock or whatever. I don't know. I'm not a movie person, so cannot assign character roles, but I think that would be like an interesting way um, that they could kind of turn this back into a sequel or alternatively, Jack Black just does a one-man show of his character in this movie. I would pay money to go see that. Well, clearly, you could play this one, you know, as as a one-player game. <laughs> Nick Jonas's character did that for twenty years. He went by himself. So uh, yeah, we could definitely see a one-man show by Jack Black. I would also watch the prequel movie of just Nick Jonas sitting in a jungle (laughs) drinking margaritas. I am there for that. That would have been an excellent post-credit scene, some sort of like flashback. Uh, So one of the things that I guess we haven't mentioned yet is that there was a small nod to Robin Williams' character from the 1996 movie. I don't remember what his character's name was, but when they meet up with Nick Jonas, Nick Jonas lives in this like shack. And somebody has carved their name into the um, one of the posts that make up the shack. And it turns out that that's um, 
Robin Williams's character. So Dwayne Johnson said in an interview a couple months ago that there was going to be a small nod, and that was it. Yeah, tiny, tiny nod to Alan Parrish. Um, but but really, this movie stood on its own, which was kind of cool. Uh, and when we ask, when we look at where it stands in the greater pantheon of Dwayne Johnson movies, uh, ranking wise, we all agree it passes the franchise of Agar Test. Uh, Charlie, you and I have been tracking our favorite and not so favorite Dwayne Johnson movies since the beginning. Where does this stand for you? So, as I was thinking about it it kept like going up and up my rankings. So I walked out of this movie thinking, man, that was a lot of fun. But like, I'm not sure that the average person that doesn't do a Dwayne Johnson podcast will remember this movie in two or three years. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it'll become a, a, a classic. But then I started looking at the movies that we've done so far. And I hit, I find myself looking at this definitely in the top five. I'm looking at the rundown. And I think that this is almost like a better version, a more well-executed version of the rundown. We really like to see the sort of Indiana Jones-influenced rundown. And this movie was very similar to that, but funnier. The action was better. And I thought, overall, it was just a a better movie. So this ends up, shockingly, coming in as my number three on my list of uh, Rock Talk movie rankings, uh, right behind Fast and Furious 6. I thought for a second to put it above that, but who are we kidding? Uh, that movie's awesome. What about you, Jordan? Well, I I did, in fact, put it over Fast and Furious 6. Um, I, like I said at the top of this podcast, I think that this is the most important movie Dwayne Johnson has ever been in. Uh, and here's why. Dwayne Johnson, you know, when he finally started to, to become this, you know, all-conquering person in in cinematography it was you know fast five proved he could hang with major action stars command to be the face of a franchise and dominate you know action and and give life to a franchise that like no one else could uh then he has pain and gain which i think proves that on an artistic level uh on a darker almost almost to the point of an indie movie you know dwayne johnson could shine in, in something that wasn't so you know wasn't this huge production it was a little more artful and i think that that was him proving his mastery of that and i think that jumanji you know more than race to witch mountain more than tooth fairy more than gi joe get smart moana i think that this movie proves that he can conquer a family-friendly comedy as well uh and with this being the you know the second movie in his seven bucks productions after just a dreadful baywatch uh premiere this was so important for him to do well in. And I think that this puts him on an incredible path going forward. I am optimistic about where Dwayne Johnson is headed. And for me, this is my number two Dwayne Johnson movie of all time, only behind Fast Five. But even between that, I have to say it's razor thin. Uh, so that's my wow. number two. Yeah. I am shocked to hear that. I mean, I understand. I totally get it. I, I agree with you that this movie really, we might look back on it and see it as a make or break because... You look at the Seven Bucks Productions um, sort of period of his career that he's in right now, and you look at Baywatch being so terribly received. Um, then you have Jumanji, which when it was first announced, the backlash to it on online was just, I thought, over the top. And then you look at his projects that are coming down the pipeline. You have the skyscraper movie which seems to me like uh, just another version of san andreas and then you have the rampage movie which is uh 
a movie based on a video game that had no plot and then you move on past that to Disney's Jungle Cruise which is a movie based on a theme park ride so um, it was really looking bleak and I gotta say with this one movie with Jumanji he's really flipped my opinion and my outlook on on Dwayne Johnson's career going forward I was nervous after we saw Baywatch because a string of four or five failures even for Dwayne Johnson could spell the end of a career in Hollywood but I think this one uh, really um, casts a, a good light on what's coming ahead for him so um, Grace I know you haven't seen a lot of Dwayne Johnson movies how many Dwayne Johnson movies have you seen is it just get smart in this one I think yep this is number two for me okay so let's what what are your rankings does this come in number one or number two for you all right so i was thinking about it um i love get smart as we've already discussed in this episode um but if i'm looking at it in terms of a dwayne johnson performance jumanji definitely wins out but as a movie say you're just gonna put on a dwayne johnson movie do you put on this or do you put on get smart oh man so okay so you need to understand get smart just has a nostalgia to me that Jumanji does not, because I, as we already know, <laughs> did not watch this as a child. Which is the opposite. Yeah, most people are coming into Jumanji based on solely nostalgia. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm definitely an outlier in this situation. But you know what? I'm going to say Jumanji. I really did truly enjoy. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed uh, going to see this movie. Um, I'm going to look forward to when it comes out on Netflix or HBO in a couple of months um, so that I can rewatch it again. Who knows? Maybe over the holidays when I'm struggling to find a Well, I can't. Screw, never mind. Next year. <laughs> <laughs> putting this in my brain for next year when, you know, I'm struggling to find a good film to watch with the fam. So, yeah, I'm going home for the holidays this next week. And if they want to see a movie... And that movie, if they veto Star Wars, I'm going to push this movie. This I could see this again in the theaters. And that's something, you know, this this movie to me is endlessly rewatchable, at least in the imminent future. I feel like there's things I missed, you know, jokes that I didn't I want to see land again. Like, I haven't felt this excited about a Dwayne Johnson movie in a long time. And I think that a lot of people are going to feel like this. And as Grace said herself, it is her number one ranked Dwayne Johnson movie. <laughs> Uh, so, folks, take that uh, for what it is. Number one over here. And I got to say, um, this, even for my own uh, excitement about even doing this podcast, um, I don't know about you, Jordan. This is something that we haven't really talked about. As much as we like Dwayne Johnson movies, when you start digging into them and devoting equal time to each one of these movies, we devoted as much time to uh, Race to Witch Mountain as we did Fast Five. And that is a travesty, but that's just, you know, that's just what we signed up for. Uh, so the fact that we're still going to be getting some really great, um, all-time great Dwayne Johnson movies, ones that haven't even happened yet, it totally opens up everything for me. And I have like a second wind when it comes to this podcast. It is exciting for us. It is exciting for the nation and it is exciting for the listeners of Rock Talk. Thank you again. Um, if you've been listening, uh, please, if you enjoy the show, if you like what we do, if you think Grace is a wonderful co-host, please go on iTunes, leave us a review, uh, give us five stars for Grace at the very least. Uh, thank you again. And uh, you can catch this episode as well as all of our other episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher. 
And in case you missed it last week, we recorded an episode with Nerdy Things Podcast. That's at Nerdy Things Pod on Twitter, uh, where we dove in even greater detail about Jumanji. We were with our friends over there, Kevin, Jules, and Tim. It was a ton of fun being on their show. I just want to say thanks again to those guys. You can check them out again on Twitter at Nerdy Things Pod, or they have a website, nerdythingspod.com. Please give them a check. Uh, check out on their site and listen to our episode because it's pretty sweet. So that's going to wrap things up for us here on Rock Talk. Um, Grace, thank you so much. You've been a great host, the first ever two-time host for Rock Talk. You're an all-star. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, Go ahead and let the people know what they're listening to, Grace. You have been smoldering with Rock Talk. (laughs) 